the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Throughout the past year, we faced challenges that most have never experienced. The coronavirus pandemic brought health concerns, financial worries, and isolation. But even with the pain felt by many, people responded with love, care, and compassion. Today's guest, Tim Schreiber, saw this as an opportunity for people to come together, and so he organized the Call to Unite event. That event featured nearly 300 participants, raised more than $85 million toward relief, and reached tens of millions of viewers. Tim is the founder of Unite, the longtime chair of Special Olympics, a best-selling author, and a founding force of the social and emotional learning movement. He is the co-editor of the book, The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Joan. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here, Tim, because this has been an incredibly challenging time for many people. And often it's easy to focus on the negatives. But what did you see happening during the pandemic that you believe offers us hope? Well, I just I think I just see the best in people. And I don't think I see that just myself. I think many of us see it. We just don't hear stories about it. And we don't see it in the media. Uh, We see the worst of us in the media. And as the pandemic broke out, I thought to myself, well, here's a chance. You know, now we're really going to come together because it's obvious that we all have to work together. And the stories I saw in the media were the opposite. Uh, Now we're more divided than ever. And I thought to myself, look, let's tell a different story. We can't live in that world where this kind of hatred and outrage and acrimony is the norm all the time. So when we reached out to people, whether it was to Oprah or to President Bush or to, you know, singers like Common or Amy Grant or to, you know, Jennifer uh, uh, Garner or Julia Roberts, they all said, yes, we agree. We need to tell a new story. And when we reached out to average nurses and doctors and grocery store clerks and um, they said the same thing that we I've got a I've got a version of us that's much more united than what I see on the air. So we put it all together into this book called to unite. And, you know, it's really an invitation to change our minds, not necessarily to change our minds about politics. That's that's a hard one. But to change our minds about ourselves, you know, to change our minds about who we are, who I am. And uh, this is a book that invites us to, you know, even if we're struggling and in pain, even if we're frustrated, even if we're worried about the future, even if we've got a lot of grief, you know, a lot of us are in a tough time right now, still. Yeah. And this is a book of uh, friends you haven't met yet who are ready to give you the support you need to come through this time and find a way to celebrate even in the midst of the pain. And so, Tim, your goal is to help people reject an us versus them thinking. And, but, you know, recently it feels like our differences have really overshadowed what we have in common. We're feeling divided. So how do you think we can go about becoming a unified people when some voices discourage it? Well, I think we have to practice it. You know, uh, the scholar, Columbia scholar Peter Coleman says, you know, the change of this nature, he writes in the Scientific American, requires a disassembly and a reorientation of our deep structure. And then he goes on, our assumptions, our values, the incentives uh, that determine our decision making that it's a deep shift, you know. So 
that's why so many people in this book invite us to quiet, uh, to a practices of calm and self-regulation and, 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 and peace. Uh, people, you know, like Amy Grant teach her meditation practice. You know, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams teaches us how to find a, a, a depth dimension in our lives. Many of the mental health experts counsel the same thing. A deep shifting of calm within ourselves, self-compassion. It's hard to have compassion for others when we don't have it for ourselves, right? Right. And then there's a sense in which we have to learn how to cross boundaries. That doesn't mean we agree all the time. It means that when we disagree, we try to do so by first giving the other person their dignity, not trying to violate their dignity, not contempt and hatred and outrage, because that's not going to change anybody. You know, at the end of the day, contempt just makes people dig in. Contempt is a constraining force. So sometimes we think, if I just scream loud enough at the other person, they're going to change. Actually, it's the opposite. What allows people to change, what, what releases constriction is dignity and not feeling labeled and misjudged. So, you know, part of this is the inner work. Part of it is building new structures of relationships. Our schools need to teach social and emotional learning. And then we just have to have leaders who get us working together. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know whether we can get that from Washington. You know, I'm not sure. Uh, right. It gets discouraging sometimes watching our political leaders. But um, I think a lot of times they're, you know, it, we could find leaders who would get us to cross the boundary and try to solve the problems together. I think a lot of new solutions would emerge that aren't the old tired solutions that split us apart. But Tim, that way of thinking, it gives each one of us tremendous power because we're always looking to someone else to solve our problems, but it really does begin with us. It does begin with us. And it begins with, you know, and this is this is the tough part, uh, I would say, you know, when people are in pain, as many of us are, I mean, I, I think of T.D. Jakes in this book, The Call to Unite. He says, I don't run from pain. I run to it. Uh, I look for the morsel of wisdom, a new perspective, a greater tenacity, he writes. He doesn't say that pain is a gift. He said pain leaves a gift. So we have to be a little bit gutsy here now, you know, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of injustice, uh, still to trust that we can do this, that I can do this. A lot of the people in here, Courtney Meadows, you know, she's a grocery store clerk at Kroger's. Uh, she's in the book. Why? Because she describes seeing the little kids coming through her lines and, and, and standing there and choosing more than anything to be positive, you know? So next time you're in that grocery store line and you're racing through and you're hurried, you know, maybe make eye contact. Maybe it's just for a second with that clerk. And, and with thousands of small interactions like that, we don't just change others, we change ourselves. Right. It's shifting from a me mentality to one of collective benefit. Yeah. My friend, uh, you know, uh, Charlemagne, who's a radio host, says, you know, if you took the word illness, it starts with an I. Change the I to we. What do you get? Wellness. <laughs> it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big shift, right? And when, when we see ourselves as part of a whole, as belonging and participating in a whole, yeah, it's a little scary because sometimes you say, well, I, well, I don't trust a lot of people out there. You know, oh, I don't know if I can trust him or her or them or this. But if each of us takes the baby steps towards participation in the whole, then the whole becomes more trustworthy and more compassionate and more just. And that's what this book is all about. It's an invitation to people uh, to discover, you know, even in your pain, even when you're in a tough time. Uh, there's a voice here inviting you to uh, the best in you and the best in others. And trying to follow that voice, not always easy, but almost always uh, a more fruitful and I think a more uh, hopeful path. Tim, as a former teacher, looking at what our children have been through during this pandemic, first of all, what problems do you think we're going to face down the road with our kids? And, and how can we incorporate these lessons that you're teaching? How can we pass these on to our kids? Yeah, so Esther Wojcicki is in the book, you know, a person who spent her life in education reminding us to teach compassion. Uh, that's the message of the social and emotional learning movement, the SEL movement. The organization I helped uh, launch, CASEL, C-A-S-E-L, has thousands of resources for teachers um, who want to teach empathy, who want to teach stress management, who want to teach problem solving, who want to teach a sense of uh, empowered, uh, teach creativity, teach these gifts of the inner life and the relational life. 
We had to do this in schools because otherwise the stress, the fear that our children have. Let's remember children who've seen uh, loss in their families, who've seen all the uncertainty in the world. We've taken from them something that is almost the mo- one of the most essential gifts of childhood, which is um, structure and confidence and safety. We're going to have to rebuild that safety now, uh, the emotional safety, uh, the relational safety. Uh, so we've got to give our teachers the time and the training to shift their own uh, pedagogies, their own styles, and introduce these curricula first for themselves, you know, because sometimes the teachers themselves need a refresher course on managing their own inner lives and managing their own biases, uh, helping to overturn their assumptions that these kids are going to come back and they're going to be out of control. Well, maybe, maybe not, you know, and so if we give teachers the support, give parents the support, and make sure that mental health is at the center of uh, academic health and, uh, and, and cultural, social, family health. You just mentioned empathy, compassion, problem-solving, gifts of inner life. You've been a longtime chair of Special Olympics. What lessons can those athletes teach that can help us to achieve this goal with our children? Well, the athletes of Special Olympics are the greatest teachers of the single lesson, which is that you should never be afraid, never be afraid of the judgment of others. You know, so many Americans, you know, people of color, indigenous communities, many times women, uh, people of different sexual orientations, uh, people with disabilities, they've been judged, labeled, thrown out, oppressed. The athletes of Special Olympics have endured that in a way, very, very, very painful way, that labeling. And yet they choose over and over again not to be judged by that. They still go to the starting line. They still run their race. They still put their arms up in the air. They are never, in my experience, never defeated uh, by the oppression of the culture. And, you know, in my view, that's a big message. Uh, We don't have to excuse oppression, but a uniter reminds the world they are not defeated by it at all. They have the strength uh, and the courage and the bravery to end it. Um, so, uh, you know, the athletes of Special Olympics, boy, I, I, all I would say to folks is if, if you hear about a, a community event in, on a Saturday afternoon this summer when Special Olympics athletes are out running track or out swimming in the pool, go down and spend an hour. Just watch. Just take a coffee or a tea or a sandwich. You don't have to have a ticket. Just watch. And I will be shocked if you don't find yourself feeling like you're in the presence of a transformational force in those athletes. Not that you helped, but that you were taught a lesson about how to reveal all of you that's good and decent and loving and not be afraid of anything uh, that can stop you. And Tim, what does the organization need from each of us? How can we get involved and help? Well, right now, I mean, Special Olympics, of course, is we need volunteers and we need been very difficult for many of our local programs. Uh, Many of them have had to shutter things just because, you know, the financial support just hasn't been there the way we might have hoped, uh, which is understandable. But now we've got to reinvest in those things that remind us of the best in us. And here at Unite, you know, at Unite.us, this book, I think, look, if people comment on the book, start discussions about the book. Here's the message you send. It's not a message about Tim Shriver. Believe me, I'm just the editor. The, the contributions are from hundreds, uh, over 100 people. But when you engage with the book, you're sending a message to others that this is the important story, not what you're watching on the cable news channels, not what you're watching uh, and listening to on hateful radio or, or other kinds of things. The story that you want to support is the story of Uniter's finding a new story of us. So I, 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 you know, respectfully ask people, go on Amazon, write a comment. Uh, uh, if you can afford it, buy two or three books, give them away. Give them to people who are struggling right now. Give them to people who, who want to have a reason to celebrate. Give them to, to those who maybe have missed a graduation or a birthday. Uh, use this book as a handbook for building and strengthening uh, the both the inner life we, we're all hungry to find ways to strengthen, as well as the story of us, uh, the American story. You know, Oprah's in the book, and she says, uh, nations have an inner life. Imagine that. You know, I hadn't thought of that before I read it from her. Uh, countries have an inner life. This is a book 
that's trying, that's offering a collective inner life for us, not just for me. It's not really a self-help book. It's an us-help book. Uh, I think you, we can all be supportive of us, I dare say, just by, you know, sharing this book with your friends on social media, commenting on it. And I think we, we start then a different conversation. And small, slowly, but surely, that's the way things change. The book is The Call to Unite, Voices of Hope and Awakening. Tim, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What message of hope do you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, believe in yourself and believe in others. There's a new story emerging in our country. You can be part of it. Uh, nothing is holding us back from starting fresh. This is our time. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me and for all your work to help us change our minds, change our attitudes, and find a new us. Uh, you have a you have a great uh, tone and a great message. Uh, we're thrilled at Unite.us to be a part of your audience, too. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. She's here today to talk about getting unstuck. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks so much for having me today. So, Lisa, many people want to follow a passion or a dream, but they continue to play it safe. They never take a risk or step outside of their comfort zone. What does a person's life look like when he or she is stuck? Wow, it makes me feel, it makes me feel it to even hear you ask me that. I, I believe that that's kind of the root of depression, right? That's the mm -hmm. root of anxiety is the idea that we're stuck somewhere and we can't move forward. So it's a very uncomfortable place to be stuck. Um, it can also lead to complacency. That complacency doesn't feel good. And again, depression may be a little heavy as a word, but, but it's not a good feeling, right? You feel like you can't, you're just not productive. And, and we as human beings need to be productive. What do you think keeps a person stuck? Is it fear of the unknown? I think a lot of it is fear. I think fear is fear of judgment in many cases, fear of failure, fear of success. I mean, all of these things are real. Uh, it's amazing, actually, that fear of success is, is one of the biggest ones. But so much of our world today, we've been looking outside of ourselves for our answers. And what's happening as we evolve, which is happening in real time right now, is we're learning that our answers are inside of ourselves, that, that everything we need to know is inside us. And, you know, as a coach, I, that's, that's my, my job is to help people understand how much they have, that all they have to do is just shift their their view and trust what they know and not worry about what someone else thinks and not worry about your parents or your friends not supporting you sometimes when you feel a pull to do something it may not be popular but if it's being pulled you're being pulled it's the right thing to do that's your intuition telling you to move forward in one of our past conversations you and i spoke about fear and i think 
that so many people say stay stuck because they're worried about all of those things that just may happen. And, you know, we spoke about that when when you spend your life worrying about what may happen. And by the way, those things usually don't. You end up never stepping outside of your comfort zone. Well, that's right. I mean, here's here's our job as humans. We are supposed to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. The only way we're going to grow is if we stretch. And stretching, you know, it is a risk. But if it's an educated risk, are you really putting that much out there that you really are going to get in trouble for or truly fail? You know, and that's, that's really the question is, is, is the fear real? Or if we just haven't tried in so long? So much of it is about saying to yourself, wait a minute, when was the last time I tried something new? And what was the outcome of that? And, and what did I learn from that, right? Because we're really just here in the learning experience. The, this life is a classroom, and the struggles are the lessons. And when we reframe this, there is no wrong. There is no failure. There is only new information, redirection, and opportunity. So, Lisa, you're a life coach, and you help people with these types of issues. So can you bullet point this for us? For someone who's feeling stuck and, and wants to step outside of his or her comfort zone, what should they do? Well, you can take small steps. You can, you know, decide if you're really having trouble, like, being productive and moving forward. I mean, there's many levels of this, right? It's just literally taking a proactive step. This is also helps quell fear. Do something that you can check the box. Clean a drawer every day until all your drawers are clean. Make that the one thing you're going to do besides take a shower. I mean, if you're really in that stuck mode. You know, if you're stuck as far as um, how do you, you have that idea, you have that vision, what's one thing you could do to move forward on that path? Read a book, go on YouTube, take an online class. I mean, right now we have everything at our fingertips. You know, the most amazing thing within this experience is that Zoom was already up and running. You can reach out to professionals. There are so many, literally the personal development and the enlightenment world is exploding with information. There are people out there that can help you do anything. And that's why coaching, which can be one-on-one, it can be in groups, it can be masterminds. It's about 10 seconds of courage to say you're going to do it because the minute that courage is gra- you know, grabbed and taken, you're on your way. It's just making that initial start. You know, and it may sound simple, but really to get unstuck, you have to take some type of action. That's the remedy. That's right. Exactly. So most things are just so simple, aren't they, Joan? <laughs> but that is the truth. Taking action. I, I personally, I know it always makes me feel better when I'm in that place. And we've all, we're all in that place. It's something we visit, you know, periodically, no matter who we are. And, and it's how do you, we all have this, what we don't remember, I think, in our culture is how much we actually know. And that what, as you get older, that you recognize, if you look back at your life experiences, that your life has been preparing you for life all the way along. It's the idea of, it's not that we're going to fall, it's how fast we get back up. With time, we get better and better at that, especially if we have the self-awareness around what we're actually doing. If we're not in the reactionary aspect of letting life and life always happen to you, but you're more in that proactive place of watching it as an objective observer, watch it unfold. Why is this happening? Is this really a coincidence? Are there, are there coincidences? You know, mm-hmm. I don't believe there are. I think when you think of that person and the phone rings and it's that person, that's coming from somewhere else. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now, you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. Are you a small or mid-sized business owner? 
Have you been struggling to keep your business afloat during these difficult times and the COVID restrictions? Hi, I'm Ed Lamero, an experienced marketing strategist and content creator. Like you and the clients I represent, I've been challenged to raise my business's visibility and that of my clients to attract new customers despite the unprecedented challenges we all face today. One effective way to get the job done is through digital marketing. Many business owners think that marketing is advertising or paid media, commercials, and print ads. While those tactics provide results and should be part of an overall plan, they often come at a hefty price and can take months to deliver return on your investment. Today's marketing success starts with digital media and online platforms where your customers gather and where you should be engaged in conversation. Think of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and other social media hangouts as gatherings of people who love to share information, recommendations, and content you can create. Having a marketing strategy and creating interesting content, photos, videos, articles, they can all change your fortunes, literally. If you'd like to discuss how you can effectively promote your business without emptying your wallet, connect with me and take advantage of my free 30-minute consultation to brainstorm ideas that will lead to success. Visit LamoreStrategies.com. That's L-A-M-O-U-R Strategies.com. Or email me at Ed at LamoreStrategies.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Thanks for staying with us. Mental health is a critical part of overall health. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is highlighting resources that are available to help veterans maintain their resilience. Joining us today to discuss ways veterans can connect to care and build lives of hope and meaning is Dr. Matthew Miller, the director of the Suicide Prevention Program for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. Important topic to talk about. I appreciate it. Doctor, with the current environment, many people are struggling to maintain emotional health. What issues are our veterans mm-hmm. dealing with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same issues, I think, in many ways as uh, all individuals are, are dealing with right now. This is a time of uncertainty, and uncertainty carries a lot of questions. Questions about today, questions about tomorrow, questions about months. And, and years from now, uh, the question uh, involves jobs, money, relationships, and they are presented in situations that are new to uh, all of us. So that makes anyone uh, anxious. But what better time than to talk about mental health and mental health awareness? Doctor, with with all of the things that you just described that we're feeling, these feelings of fear, can a pandemic like this trigger PTSD in our vets? A pandemic, uh, times of uncertainty uh, can certainly be challenging for anyone. Veterans uh, with or without PTSD have developed um, strong skills, resources, and points of resiliency in day-to-day life. They also may face some unique challenges in light of their background and experiences. But within those unique challenges, uh, the message that we're getting out is that uh, help and support is available for them, whether they want to pursue an app for self-care and wellness or if they want to schedule an appointment for uh, mental health. So we're open, we're here, we're ready to serve. Can you tell us a little bit about the suicide rate for vets? Is this a growing problem? It's suicide in uh, America has been a problem since uh, 1999-2000. It's uh, increased in the United States as a whole from 2005 to the present at a rate of about uh, 43%. Across that same time frame, it's increased about 6% within the veteran population. Uh, So it's clear that there is a problem, there is an issue to attend to both within uh, the nation as a whole and within uh, and with our veterans. It's really important within this then in light of that, that we're all pulling together across federal, state, and local levels to, in a unified way, create a suicide prevention plan that offers increased access to evidence-based mental health services and medical services, as well as community outreach uh, and connection opportunities. 
Are there some other ways that our listeners can get involved to help make a difference in the lives of our vets? You know, we, we're asked this question a lot, and I, I really appreciate it because one of the first things is, yes, yes. A lot of times people say, well, if I'm not a veteran, if I'm not a mental health professional, if, if, I, if I don't have all the background and I'm not an expert in this, is there anything I can do? Yes, is the very simple and truthful answer. Making a connection uh, it can be life Saving. And one of the most important things that can be done, if you if you know a veteran, reach out. Reach out and ask how they're doing. Reach out and find ways to connect within um, our options that are available to us today. That's one of the first things uh, that we can do. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your time. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Eric Goldberg, is managing partner of the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. Eric is designated as a certified elder law attorney by the National Elder Law Foundation. He is dedicated to providing customized plans that meet a person's unique needs and goals for long-term care and estate planning. He is here today to discuss the difference between an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Eric, you're designated as a certified elder law attorney. Is there a difference between an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney? Uh, Sure. There are multiple differences. Uh, So elder law is a subset of estate planning. Uh, So we still do uh, the basic estate planning documents. We do wills, powers of attorney for financial purposes, health care powers of attorney, living wills, and we do trust work. Uh, the, the main difference between an elder law attorney and a state planning attorney is that elder law attorneys are planning for the very real potential of a long-term care need in the future or a long-term care need now. Uh, these are the, the type of things that estate planning attorneys aren't well-trained for. Not to say that estate planning attorneys uh, aren't incredibly valuable professionals. They are, and, and we uh, consistently introduce clients to estate planning attorneys uh, mostly for high net worth issues, uh, as we do estate planning as well. So, for instance, uh, an elder law attorney will deal with families who are interested in protecting assets because they fear that themselves or a loved one will eventually have a long-term care need, meaning uh, care at home, uh, care in assisted living communities, or care in a skilled nursing facility, or they are entering one of those facilities or they're in crisis, they failed to plan, and now they need to rely on government benefits. You just mentioned about being in crisis. Why is it so important for all of us to think about planning for our future? And is there ever a time when it may be too late to do so? Well, look, we should all be worried, obviously, or, you know, planning to me, planning is paramount. Uh, And as human beings, I think many of us avoid planning because it, uh, some people actually feel superstitious about it. But also, I think it's something that people don't want to think about. Uh, But as we age, uh, there is a very high percentage of individuals who will end up with a long-term care need. Uh, As medical science has improved, people are living longer and longer. Uh, As a matter of fact, I spoke with somebody yesterday who's a financial professional, and he's dealing with, with a mom that has advanced stages of dementia. And he was saying that 10, 15 years ago, she'd probably already be deceased. But uh, there she is, unable to walk, unable to feed herself. And he's thinking that she could potentially live another decade. So these are things that we definitely need to plan for. And unfortunately, uh, long-term care is incredibly expensive. Right now, we're seeing average assisted living facilities in uh, northern New Jersey at the eight to $12,000 a month mark. Uh, we've had nursing home patients that have been spending more than $20,000 a month on care. So even people who are quote unquote wealthy by standards in this country, uh, in the Northern New Jersey, New York region, uh, they could end up 
spending over a million dollars on their care. So it's so important to plan. Eric, do you think that the government, instead of giving the money, the type of, of money that you just mentioned, instead of giving that money toward nursing home care, do you think that they will ever have a, a program where they would pay family members to keep the person at home? Well, Joan, you're definitely on the right track. New Jersey does have a program they rolled out, uh, I think it was the beginning of last year, that they do allow family members to be paid to care for their loved ones at home. However, uh, Medicaid, which is a broad program, but when we're talking about elderly people for long-term care, it's the MLTSS program, uh, only provides up to 40 hours a week of care at home. And that's so unfortunate. Uh, It's better than it used to be. Uh, There used to be an income cap in New Jersey so that if somebody in today's dollars uh, earned more than $2,382 a month, they couldn't even get Medicaid benefits at home or in assisted living. They were forced to go into a nursing home. But now they can get that, that care at home. They can have, under certain circumstances, a family member care for them. But on the flip side, uh, while most of my clients say that they want to stay at home and most of their family members want their loved one to stay at home, it's not always the best place to receive care. And I would say while this region has a great Medicaid program in New Jersey specifically, uh, as I said before, 40 hours a week doesn't really suffice for most people. It's usually good at the beginning of a, uh, of a long-term care need, but you, we really do need trained professionals to care for our loved ones in the long run. Eric, what are some of the most important documents we should have? So everybody, Joan, not just the, the elderly, and as I said before, we do a lot of estate planning in my practice, Uh, And that, by the way, that area of practice has really exploded during uh, the pandemic. Uh, Everybody, starting at the age of 18, should have a financial power of attorney. That that is a document that allows another individual to step into your shoes and make financial decisions for you. A healthcare power of attorney, likewise allowing an individual to step into your shoes to make healthcare decisions for you if you cannot. And then as we age, especially uh, when individuals have, have children or they're just getting older, uh, they should certainly have a last will and testament. And some people feel that they don't need a last will and testament because they don't have enough funds or, or most of their funds uh, would fall outside of probate. For instance, they're jointly held or their insurance or IRA assets. Uh, but we never know what the future can bring. And for instance, if there's a wrongful death suit, there needs to be somebody who would be paid for that it's just it, it's very cumbersome to open uh, in what we call an intestate uh, case instead of uh, probating assets. So it's, it's just so I think it's so important to have a well power of attorney health care directive. So, Eric, somebody's listening to you right now, and this may seem daunting. So what advice do you offer to help somebody get started? Well, you know, look, everybody nowadays is on is online. So do a little bit of research here and there. Uh, but really what we always recommend to people is research the professionals that can help you. So if you have a basic estate planning need, start researching the estate planning attorneys or elder law attorneys who also do estate planning in your area. I uh, go to uh, AVVO, which is a, uh, a lawyer's website, uh, almost like a Google for lawyers, uh, certified elder law attorneys of which I'm one of only 500 in the nation. Uh, there are web- there's a website for that to look for them and really uh, dig deep because what's happening nowadays is that, unfortunately, elder law has become hot. And we're seeing a lot of people uh, either transferring their practices over from another area of law to elder law or just dabbling in it. And it's dangerous. So you really need to to find somebody that knows what they're doing. And in my practice, we, uh, we feel that it's a necessity to offer a, uh, a complimentary consultation because we want to see if, if the person's a good fit and they want to see if we're a good fit. And there's no reason that I, you know, I can't spend 45 minutes to an hour talking to somebody. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Eric and his work, you can visit njelc.com, or as always, to hear more from Eric, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eric. We'll be right back.
Have you ever thought about what would happen if you or your spouse couldn't work because of sickness or injury? Would your group benefits be enough? If you don't have any protection, how quickly would your savings last to pay for everyday bills and maintaining the life that you love? Hi, my name is Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. I'm here to share some tips on what you should consider when looking into protecting your income. Many people don't realize how much their disability insurance policies will pay out in the event of an injury or illness. It is important to understand your policies, especially when you get a promotion or pay increase, to see if there are any new gaps in your coverage. It is also beneficial to know how long your benefits will last in the event you can't work because you are sick or hurt. This time frame can vary by months or years, depending on the plan that you have. If you have any questions about your current policies, speak to your financial advisor to see if the coverage is enough for your situation. For more information on disability insurance, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. In this rapidly changing world, it's important to take time out for relaxation and contemplation. Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a sound therapist and the owner of Awaken Sound Health, a meditation and sound healing studio located in Chester, New Jersey. Every day contains so many distractions that taking care of yourself beyond your immediate needs can seem like a momentous task. But if you don't take time for relaxation to decrease your stress load and contemplation to integrate the events of your day, then you increase your potential for physical and mental illness. In the words of Lao Tzu, time is a created thing. To say I don't have time is like saying I don't want to. How long have you been wanting to feel better, at peace with yourself, your life, and the greater world? Now is the best time to begin the process of self-realizing a stress-free life. Here's a simple exercise to get you started. Close your eyes and breathing through your nose, inhale for 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Release for 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Repeat for several cycles to several minutes or more and you will have created a relaxed time out in your day. To learn how to expand your meditation practice, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations, and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about ways that you can heal your thyroid naturally is Dr. Emily Lipinski, a doctor of naturopathic medicine and author of the book, Healing Your Thyroid Naturally. Welcome, Dr. Lipinski. Thank you for joining us. 
thank you so much for having me. Doctor, let's begin by talking about the scope of thyroid disorders. How prevalent are thyroid issues and who are most likely to suffer? They're becoming more and more prevalent. In fact, it's estimated that in North America now, about one in six women at some point in their life will develop some sort of thyroid dysfunction. And although thyroid disease does affect men, it's definitely more prevalent in women. So you're saying that it's becoming more and more of a problem. What are some of the major causes? Well, this is a really interesting question because a lot of people, the old way of thinking was that as uh, we age, specifically as women age, the thyroid gland, it's, an, it's a hormone gland in the body located in the neck, that it just naturally stopped working as well. However, we know now that about 90% of the reason why people are developing hypothyroidism, slow-functioning thyroid uh, function, is because of autoimmune disease. So when we're looking at the root cause of why, it's really because of this autoimmune disorder that's happening in people's bodies. And many people aren't even aware of it. Is that occurring because of our lifestyle? Yes, autoimmune disease, um, there's kind of three factors we need to look at. First, there needs to be some sort of genetic link. We can't do anything about that. Some people know they have genetics to develop autoimmune. Some people don't. Um, so if you have an, a father or a mother or aunt or uncle with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or other forms of autoimmune disease, you're definitely at increased risk. Second is kind of the triggers to develop an autoimmune condition. And these can be a, a Western um, diet, refined foods, lots of fats and sugars, packaged foods, um, exposure to toxins, uh, long-term use of certain medications like Advil uh, and the birth control pill can also be a trigger for autoimmune. And then the final one is something called leaky gut or interstitial um, permeability, intestinal permeability. And that is some people know they have leaky gut, some people don't. What are signs that something might be wrong? So with the thyroid gland specifically, I'd say some of the first things you want to be looking out for is that key symptom of inability to, to lose weight. The thyroid gland is the master uh, gland of your metabolism. So it keeps your meta metabolic rate high and it also keeps your bowels moving. So having sluggish bowels, not being able to go to the bathroom as much as you want, feeling like you're gaining more and more weight despite not any big changes in diet or exercise or trying to change diet and exercise and no budge with the weight. That's one of the key symptoms. And then you also want to be looking for feeling cold all the time, um, dry hair, skin and nails, hair falling out, um, and irritability, depression, and anxiety can also be part of thyroid disease. Anyone who gets a routine annual physical and they do blood work, there's usually a thyroid panel that's done. Is that sufficient in diagnosing the problem? That's a great question, Joan. So when we look for thyroid disease on blood work, we're looking for something called TSH. That's thyroid-stimulating hormone. That's a hormone that's produced by the pineal gland, the gland in your brain, and that should speak to your thyroid gland. At kind of, I, I tell my patients kind of like a whisper. It should say, keep going, you're doing a good job. When that happens, the range of TSH is around 0 0.5 to 2, maybe 2.5. Um, <clears throat> anything above 2.5, in my opinion, is that something might be starting to be a little bit off with your thyroid gland. The problem with that, though, is many labs, their cutoff for TSH is around somewhere between four to six. And classic uh, thought in the medical system is that there's really nothing wrong with a thyroid gland until TSH goes to 10. So that's the first issue. A lot of women I've seen have had a TSH in the threes, fours, fives, sixes, but no one's done anything about it because they think it's not, it hasn't gotten high enough. To do something about it. The second issue is that the TSH doesn't show anything about the autoimmune disorder. And again, 90% of people that have hypothyroidism are having an autoimmune condition going on in the body. And these antibodies that attack the thyroid gland can be tested in the blood, but aren't often tested in conventional medicine in North America. So these two antibodies that are primarily tested in my practice are called TPO and TGAB. And you can have those antibodies checked. You can ask your doctor to run those for you. If your doctor won't run them for you, you can find another practitioner 
be it naturopathic, functional medicine doctor, another medical doctor that will run these antibodies. Because if you do have the antibodies, there's a lot that you can do to reduce those antibodies in your body and help your thyroid gland function a little bit more optimally. If it's determined that there is a problem, is medication always the the best course of treatment? And once you're on these meds, is it forever? Or is there something that we can do naturally to heal this? It really depends how long the thyroid disease um, has been at play and if you already are on medication. So that's the, one of the important points about the, looking at these antibodies. So normally we know that the antibodies become elevated in someone's blood about five years before their TSH really goes, the switches very, very high. So if you catch the antibodies early and the TSH is still within the normal range, that is where natural healing the thyroid naturally really shines. There's so much we can do naturally to reduce those antibodies and really, in my opinion, prevent the use of medication. If the TSH is slightly high um, and you do, and you do things naturally, there also may be a reduced need for medication as well. If your TSH is really high and you've been dealing with thyroid disease for a very long time, natural remedies are absolutely still going to have a place. However, you may need medication. Using natural remedies and diet and lifestyle can still be powerful because it can reduce how much medication you might need. Um, and you might be able to have get away with a lower dose of medication because you're doing these other things naturally to improve thyroid function. The book is Healing Your Thyroid Naturally by Dr. Emily Lipinski. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.